Hi there, you're listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Terry, and this season of the Unabridged Podcast is the Terror in the Sky series. This is an unforgettable, fast-paced collection of six novellas that tell you the story of what happens when multiple strangers board a doomed flight. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. Chapter 21 You learn a lot serving out a life sentence. Did you know that? Like not all criminals are evil, sometimes desperate people do desperate things. I was safer in prison than I ever had been under Dennis's roof. If it hadn't been for the stress of the trial itself and the knowledge that if the jury found me guilty, I'd never see you again, I could have felt perfectly at peace. I gave my life to Christ right before my sentencing. There was a Bible study for the women prisoners— I started going, desperate to give hope or meaning to the terror I'd lived through. It was in prison that I learned how to pray. Of course, anybody can pray when their husband's beating them up. But my new kind of prayers were different. I prayed for all the other people Dennis had hurt, asked God to heal their wounds and show them grace. I prayed for the jury that found me guilty the prosecutors who spread vicious lies about me, the public that devoured the scandal like vultures descending on prey. But mostly, Justine, I prayed for you. I prayed that God would place you in a good home, that he would help you to feel loved and cherished and safe. When I heard that one of your foster families wanted to adopt you, I was thrilled. I'd already been sentenced by then, and even though I was looking into appeals, I was starting to realize there was no way I'd ever leave my cell. Your father was just too smart. The life insurance policies, the journal he kept at work. He knew that one of us was going to die, and he made provisions to make me out to be guilty, no matter which of us it was. I'm glad that you inherited that money. I prayed that your new family would use it well. By all accounts, it sounds like you've done well for yourself. I'm really glad about that. And I know it's a lot to ask, Justine. Probably too much. But I would certainly love to meet my grandson before the Lord calls me home. Chapter 22 Justine hadn't even realized she was still clutching Meredith's hand beside her until the muscles in her fingers started to cramp. Five more minutes had passed. General's timer beeped again. "'What's he doing?' West asked. Justine didn't have any answer for her son. General was still in the back of the plane. It should have been good news. It meant that he was farther away from West.' but Justine couldn't keep herself from staring as he waved his gun at another young woman and told her to stand up. "'What's your name?' he demanded. "'Willow,' she answered. Her hair was blue, beautiful in various shades, all the way from teal to azure. She looked a little familiar. Where had Justine seen her before?' 
Are you following what's going on at the schools in Detroit, Willow? General's voice was low, menacing, like a snarling dog warning another animal to keep its distance. A bit, the young woman answered. They're building playgrounds on toxic land. His volume increased, and his voice became more animated as he spoke. Maybe, Justine thought, just maybe if he kept rambling, it would give the other passengers the chance to figure out some plan of attack. Maybe. They're literally poisoning our children, and they don't care. The young woman's lip trembled. Even in her seat so many rows away, Justine was convinced she could hear the girl's throat working to swallow. I'm sorry that I have to do this. General raised his gun and took aim. Justine willed her eyes to squeeze shut. Let her go! The strong voice echoed throughout the entire cabin. It sounded as if the engines themselves had all shut off to help Grandma Lucy's words carry throughout the airplane. She was so short she didn't even come up to General's shoulder, and yet the little old lady stood glaring at him until it felt as if General's body shrunk a full foot and a half. What do you want? he asked, but there was confusion in his voice. Weakness. I told you to let that young woman go. Grandma Lucy took a step forward. West finally managed to squirm free and turn around in his seat, but Justine was too engrossed in what was happening in the back of the plane to tell him to stay down. Why would I do that? General snarled. Because she's young, and you don't want to take another innocent life. There was a filling, soaring sensation in Justine's chest. Had she been holding her breath this whole time? Now that Grandma Lucy stood to confront the hijacker, Justine felt like she could finally remember how to breathe. This is the only way to get anyone to listen to what I have to say. General sounded desperate, scared, like he was about to lose control any minute. If the passengers could just find a way to communicate with each other, all it would take was a few strong bodies to bring him down. Please, God. Prayers rushed through Justine's soul in the same hurried, unexpected way her breath had returned to her lungs at the sight of Grandma Lucy's boldness. Her body felt warm, ready for action, ready for something to happen. But what? Grandma Lucy stepped in front of General's gun. If you need a victim that badly, she proclaimed, so loudly that her words seemed to echo and reverberate off the walls of the cabin, you can take me. I'm more than willing to meet my maker. General stared at her as if considering placed his hand on the trigger of his gun, and shrugged. Fine. The menacing growl was back in his voice, and his stature had regained its former confidence. He took a step forward until his gun was just an inch from Grandma Lucy's forehead. Have it your way, old woman. Chapter 23 they say that confession is good for the soul. I'm afraid if I tried to list out every single sin I've ever committed, I'd never finish this letter to you. 
Early on, after my sentencing, I visited with the chaplain quite a bit. He kept asking me if I was sorry for killing my husband. I'm sorry, Justine, but that's the one thing I can't apologize for. I've forgiven Dennis, that much I can say. But I'm not sorry I killed him. If I hadn't, he would have destroyed me and you as well. I've searched my Bible and I've begged God to change my mind if I'm wrong, but I can't regret the fact that he's dead. The chaplain said that's a sign of unforgiveness. I told him he's never had to kill anyone to save his little girl. I don't mean to tell you I've lived a perfect life. I struggle every day with anger at the men on that jury who put me here. But I can't change what's past. I can only try to make amends for the future. I've already told you I'm dying. I don't know how much longer I have, but sometimes, as I'm drifting off to sleep at night, I can hear the heavenly music that soon is going to call me home. I know you might read my words and decide I'm making it all up. You've read about your father's journal, how manipulative he said I was. I imagine that there's part of you that wants to believe I'm innocent, and another part of you that might always harbor doubts. I can't prove to you that anything I've said here is true. I can't make you believe that killing your father was the only way to save our lives. You've read about me online, I'm sure, and have probably already come to your conclusions about who I am and what my motivations were and how reliable of a witness I am. Just remember, Justine, that looks can be deceptive. Your father had everyone fooled, the doctors, his co-workers, his friends, the jury, except I have no proof to offer you, nothing conclusive to guarantee my innocence. God alone knows what really happened. He is my witness as well as my judge. I'll admit there are times when I wake up from terrifying nightmares. I've just died, and God tells me I can't come into heaven because there's blood on my hands. And I pray, and I plead, and I ask him to show me grace. I wake up crying. I believe God will judge me justly when my time finally comes, and I rely on his grace to cover all my mistakes. I know you aren't all-knowing like the Lord, but I couldn't die peacefully thinking that you believe a lie about me, about who I was, about why I did what I had to do. My conscience, my soul, my eternal destiny are in God's hands now. All I can ask is that before I go home, you hear my story and tell me that you understand. Then I can die and finally be at peace. Chapter 24 General stared at Grandma Lucy, aimed his gun at her head, and pulled the trigger. Click. Nothing happened. General's eyes widened. His gun doesn't work! The shout from the back of the plane was followed by confusion, chaos. Get him! Grab him! Careful! A skirmish, loud grunting. Someone punched General in the face. He fell. Several more shouts, and then 
It was over. We got him, someone yelled. And that was it. General was bound, his gun now pointed at his own chest. Passengers let out a collective sigh of relief. In the seat beside her, Justine heard Meredith offering a short prayer of thanks. The captain made an announcement that they'd be landing in Detroit soon. You think you've won, General shouted with a guffaw. You're all going to die. Justine chose to disregard the ominous threat. It was the ravings of a madman, nothing more. Mama? West asked. Justine wrapped her arms around her son, ashamed that in her fear and then relief, she'd momentarily forgotten how scared he must be. It's okay, she whispered, tears streaking down her cheeks. It's over. They caught the bad guy and we're all going to be okay. General's laugh still echoed through the cabin. You're all gonna die. Justine ignored his words, hugged her son close, and thanked God for keeping them alive. Chapter 25 I'm gonna kill you both. That's what Dennis told me. That's what I believed. I've talked with the chaplain about it quite a bit since I've been here, told him that the only thing I feel guilty about is that I don't feel guilty. Am I a sociopath? Am I the monster the media made me out to be? The monster I'm sure you believe that I am? He would have killed you, Justine. As sure as I know you're my daughter, sure as I believe God will usher my soul into heaven to stand in his presence any day now, I knew your father meant to kill us both. I couldn't let it happen. If you had never been born, I wouldn't have cared. I would have given up years earlier. But you are so little, so beautiful, so perfect. You loved me, trusted me. And you loved him, too. Your innocence was completely unaware of the pure evil that lived inside that man. I took the knife. How could I watch while he slid open your throat? How could I sit by and do nothing? I took the knife, and in that moment, I knew. Either I would survive, or Dennis would. There was no way he and I were both going to come out of this alive. And since my brain was working for the first time since your father put me on those drugs, since I had the adrenaline surge that comes when a mother watches her child in danger, I did what I had to do. Your father's attorney and the judge were right. I shouldn't have run away after that, shouldn't have taken you in the car with me and tried to skip town. I didn't even realize you were bleeding until we were halfway to Toronto. We had to stop, had to get you medical attention. If it hadn't been for that, I like to think we might have made it across the border. I used to spend a lot of time thinking about that scenario an alternate reality created entirely in my mind while I sit here, cold behind these metal bars. We cross the border. I smile and tell the crossing agent we're going to do some shopping. Smile at him nicely, make small talk about exchange rates. I don't know a single person in Toronto, 
but it's a big enough city that we manage to get by. I go to one of those women's shelters, take you there with me, explain that we're in danger. I left my ID, everything I had at home. Eventually, we learn to start over. I get a job working as a nanny for a rich family. They have a little girl just your age, and the two of you become best friends. We go to church. I teach you about the Lord. We pray before meals and sing songs in the car. Life is beautiful, Justine. And we never, ever talk about your father again. Thanks for listening to the Unabridged Christian Fiction Audiobook Podcast. This has been the Terror in the Skies series written by me, Alana Terry, and narrated by Becky Dowdy. If you want to listen to or read this entire series without interruptions, you can look for the Terror in the Skies series by Alana Terry wherever you shop for ebooks, paperbacks, or audiobooks.